0: B.J. Skook, everybody. Yeah. <clears throat> as alaikum. alaykum. Shalom Alehem, Peace be upon you. I wanted to uh, invite you into this space. If you grew up in a more liturgical church setting, you might be familiar with this part of the service, which we call the passing of the peace. We've largely done away with that here at the table because introverts like Matt Moberg get really uncomfortable by shaking strangers' hands and making small talk with them. Uh, it's not that we're against greeting here or peace even at the table, it's just we don't want to make you uncomfortable, especially if it's your first visit. But maybe I already did that because I started speaking in Arabic and Hebrew, so sorry. But it's Ramadan, you'll get over it. We're glad that you're here tonight. My name's Maggie. I'm a member of the community and I'm really glad that you made it out on this weekend. Um, I started with those greetings because tonight, if you haven't guessed already, we are talking about peace. We have been in this series, Bear Fruit, which is all about the fruits of the Spirit. Matt got us started a couple of weeks ago. He uh, put the list of the nine fruits of the Spirit up there on the screen, and um, we all kind of looked at that, and I don't know about you, but I looked at those nine, and I thought it was a tall order. I felt a little intimidated. Here they are. Check this out. Okay. They're right there. These are the qualities that we as people who are practicing the ways of Jesus are supposed to embody, like fruit on a tree. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of fruit growing on my tree, and it's not those nine. <laughs> so if you, if you haven't had a chance to get to know me, I'm going to share a story with you that only one person in this room knows, and it's my dad. Are you ready? Here we go. A couple weeks ago, I was parked at the Southdale Mall, and I got out of my van and I was really careful because the car next to me was parked really close and I did not want to bump that car, but I checked and it wasn't their fault because the car on the other side of them was parked over the line. So I was careful, I didn't hit them, I got out and when I came back, this is what I found. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. You're gonna say, but Mag, that Jeep isn't even parked over the line. Like, technically, there's nothing wrong here. And to that I say, okay, fair. But A, I am an Enneagram 1, and so we do things the right way because there is a right way to do things. And B, what you can't see is that the Jeep's front wheel is actually uh, parallel with my driver's door, and I couldn't get it open. So I had to go around the passenger side, and I had to climb over. And I sat there in that moment and I did something I'm not proud of and I'm going to share it with you all. So lots of grace for this moment. I found a spare piece of paper in my center console and I put my English major to good work and I left a note and it was not a nice note. And that note had a word in it and it was not one of those nine (laughs) words. (laughs) And I stuck it under the windshield wiper and I drove away feeling very good about myself (laughs) because I was so mad. Okay. Well, I'm here tonight as someone who does not have it all figured out clearly. I have a lot of other fruit growing besides the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm coming to you just to let you know that I don't have it figured out, and I'm in this with you. And um, I have a bit of encouragement for you, which is that over the last two weeks when Matt took us through love and joy, I learned something, and I hope it's encouraging to you like it was to me. So last week, Matt talked about joy, and I discovered two things. I learned two things. One... Joy was not at all what I thought it was. And joy was so much more than I thought it was. So that's encouraging. So tonight, that's what we're gonna do with peace. We're actually gonna break down, deconstruct a little bit our notion of peace, and then we're gonna talk about what peace really is. We're gonna talk about what it is, what it isn't, how to get it, and how not to lose it. So uh, we need to go first back to that word peace. And so in the Greek the word is Irene. Uh, the reason we have to go back to these old languages that only Debbie has studied is because maybe not only Debbie. Yeah. I think it's I think it's Irene, right? I think that sounds right. Yes. Thanks Debbie. So the reason we go back to those languages is because we read an English translation of our Bible. So yes, our Bible is infallible, but it is imperfect because how many of you speak another language and you know that there are words and phrases that just, they can't be captured perfectly in the English language? This is one of them. So the word irene, the English translation is peace and our word peace just doesn't get at the heart of it. So irene comes from a Greek root word ero, which is to join. So irene means to put back together that which has been separated or divided. So our best English translation in English would be like when I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see an influencer and she looks really good and she's got her OOTD outfit of the day, right? And I feel a little intimidated and I say, wow, she's got it all together. That's irene. She's got it all together, everything in the place it's supposed to be, the way it was meant to be, she's got everything put together. But the word Irene has a Hebrew counterpart, and it's this word, it's shalom, and you might be a little bit more familiar with shalom. Shalom is this sense of wholeness, of completeness. Shalom is when everything is reconciled to itself, to other people, and to God. That is the sense of shalom. So now that you know that, you know what erene and shalom means, I want you to sit for a second and think about how messed up our understanding of peace, the English word, really is. Think about how small it is, how narrow it is. We generally understand peace to be maybe no conflict. Maybe we'd go so far as to say a sense of tranquility. But if that's all that peace is, well then I'm just gonna be really passive aggressive and write notes in my van and stick it on parked cars because that is the facade of peace because there's no direct confrontation involved in that. Do you see how it falls short what peace really is? So for a great sense of what peace is, we need to go to the good doctor. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. Our word for peace just doesn't go far enough real peace real shalom includes the seeking of the other's highest good it is me looking in the eyes of an enemy and saying i'm not going to fight you i'm going to be for you it's the oppressor sitting down with the oppressed and saying i am not going to challenge you i'm going to champion you What does that real kind of peace even look like? That's what I wanted to set out to explore with you tonight. And so um, that's what I wanted to do these last couple of weeks as I've been preparing. And I knew that if it had anything to do with the person of Jesus, that that whatever peace was, it wasn't going to be what I thought it was going to be because Jesus never shows up the way we think he's going to or doing the things that we thought he was going to be. So when Jesus arrives... The Jews are expecting Jesus to bring in this new reality, a new military reality, maybe a new uh, political reality, a new government reality and do it all in the name of peace. And to be honest, that's what I thought I was gonna find in the Gospels. I thought that I would do a little research and I would find this poetic missive from the Prince of Peace about how he came to bring peace to the world. And so I started, as all good Bible scholars do, Debbie, I know this is how you start your sermons. I open up my laptop to BibleGateway.com and I typed in peace. And I said, show me where it says peace in the New Testament. 95 times, folks, a lot. I was like, well, I gotta slog through this somehow. And I pulled up the first verse in uh, Matthew 10 this is what it says do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth I have not come to bring peace but a sword I have come to turn a man against his father a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law a man's enemies will be the member of his own household And I thought, oh crap, (laughs) that's not at all what I thought I was going to find. Maybe if I pretend that this verse doesn't exist, they'll never know. And I can just go on talking about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And uh, so that's what I wanted to do. Okay, so what's the next verse in Matthew? Show that to me. But how many of you know that when you hit a verse in the Bible that doesn't read quite right, that unsettles you in a way that just won't leave you alone that that's actually the holy spirit's way of saying no sit in this you need to get this dig deeper for this there's something for you here so oh that holy spirit she's so great at that okay so that's what i did then i said okay holy spirit i'm listening let's dig deeper into this so here's what i found maybe jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword because in bringing real peace it wasn't going to feel like peace it was going to look like a sword the people weren't expecting the kind of peace he wanted to bring the best illustration i have of this is game of thrones and so just quick side note we need to have a little family meeting i'm even going to step down so that i can see you can we talk about game of thrones I am not about that spoiler life. I will not do this to you. If you intended to watch the last episode, you have had seven days, but I will use a different illustration if I have to. Does anyone object? I'm for real. Does anyone not want me to talk about Game of Thrones? Speak now or forever promise not to yell at me afterwards. Okay, we're gonna do it. I have, I'll be honest with you, I saw the first episode of Game of Thrones and I saw the last episode of Game of Thrones, but all that I really needed to know is that this is the Iron Throne, and the whole series is about who's going to be on that Iron Throne. Am I getting this right? You folks who have seen every episode? Okay. So that's, that's what you need to know. In the last episode, it's a small spoiler, tiny, tiny little spoiler. In the last episode, the dragon, whose name is Drogon. Did I say that right? Thanks, hubby. Thank you. His name is Drogon. He breathes his fiery breath and melts the Iron Throne. Melts it all down. I'm not going to tell you if there was somebody sitting on the throne when he did it. That would be a spoiler. I'm not going to tell you that. But he melts the throne. And Matt was kind enough to point out to me that Jesus is the dragon. Because Jesus didn't come to put himself on the iron throne. He came to melt the throne down. Because our concept of peace is so small. It's such a a tiny little box. Jesus said, I'm going to blow the box open. I came to melt the throne, not sit on it. Go to the next page of my notes. Oh, this is going really well. Okay. What Jesus means by that is if you are going to choose fidelity to me, you are going to have to disavow lesser understandings of what peace really is. If you're coming with me, then you have to leave behind the naysayers even if they are members of your own family, if they're your friends. If they just want a lack of conflict... It's time to move on and help usher in this real kingdom of peace, a sense of shalom, where everything is brought back together and set to right the way it's supposed to be. Rob Bell says that we each have a part to play in the repair and restoration of the world. So what does this look like for you? Take a second. I want you to call to mind the area in your life where you're not experiencing peace? Where's the one thing in your life that is just like a, it's like a hollow facade, it's, it's not the real thing? Can you think of it? Is it a relationship, maybe a place, set of circumstances, or even a conversation? Where are you enjoying the absence of conflict, but you are not experiencing real justice? And what would peace look like in that situation? Do you know? Maybe you don't. That's okay. But do you have a part that you can play in ushering in restoration in that situation? How can you erene what's been torn apart? I'm thinking of mine right now. Feels pretty impossible. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure what my part is. I don't know how to play that. But I was reading in the whole chapter of Matthew 10, and Jesus actually gives some instructions a few verses before this. He has been mentoring and teaching his friends and kind of um, training them up in his way, and he is sending them out to do their own set of ministry. And this is how he sends them out. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Hang on. There we go. Whatever town or village you come to, you enter, search there for somebody who is worthy, and then stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Okay, let's stop right there. What's their greeting? It's that Hebrew phrase I used at the beginning. Shalom aleichem. Peace be upon you. Extend your peace there. Give it your greeting. How different would our lives be Would our relationships be, our culture be, if we prioritized real peace in our conversations enough to make it a greeting? This is where our Muslim brothers and sisters have it right because they start and end every conversation with peace be upon you and upon you be peace. What would that really look like in our lives? So give it your greeting, extend your peace to them. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, then leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. What could be more vulnerable than knocking on a stranger's door, waiting for them to open it, looking in their eyes and saying, peace be upon you and not knowing if you're going to hear the words back and also with you. But what do we know about vulnerability? Any Brene Brown fans in the house? Give a woo woo. Yeah. Okay, so St. Brene, <laughs> she is a researcher on um, vulnerability, shame, and courage. And all her years of studies have, have led her to this one discovery that vulnerability is actually not a sign of weakness. It's not. If you think about the moments in your life where you have felt courageous, all of those moments started with vulnerability, with this sense of emotional exposure. So vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. And in this passage, we learn that vulnerability is actually a prerequisite to get to peace. So we get vulnerable. We extend that offer of peace. You do this when you sit down with your partner to have a hard conversation. And you do it in in a position of wanting to understand, not be understood. You do this when you set a meeting with your boss. And you go into that in a posture of listening and learning not defensiveness. You do this when you call up the friend who ghosted you and you say, it's been a long time since we've talked and I hate this distance between us. Can we talk about it? Can we make it right? And sometimes those conversations go really well, really well. You offer the peace, the peace is accepted, you share in peace together, and you do the hard work of Irene, of putting back together what's been torn apart, what's been separated. But what if the other person doesn't share in peace? What does Matthew say? He says, and if not, your peace will return to you. Let your peace return to you. Don't know about you, but for me, if my peace gets rejected, I just sit in that and I obsess over it and I play it over in my head and I think about all the ways they were wrong and I think about all the things I should have said that would have made the conversation go different. Nadia Bowles-Weber, she says that I rent out free space in my head to a hostile tenant. I like that. That's toxic, isn't it? You cannot sustain that. When you dwell on how the other person is wrong, it can rob you of peace, but peace rejected is not peace stolen. At least it doesn't have to be because your peace is not found in people. It's not found in a place. It's not found in a set of circumstances. You are going to face rejection. When you extend your peace, it will get rejected and sent back to you. You're gonna offer it, you're gonna get rejected, and it's going to hurt. It's just that it's not going to hurt what matters most about you. And here it is, church. You are a beloved child of God, made in God's image with the breath of God breathed into you. And so when you get rejected, that truth about you stays true, even if your peace comes back to you. And peace that returns to you is not a waste because it's not your peace to begin with. We were given that peace. Jesus says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. I don't give the way the world gives. So if somebody doesn't want it, your job is just to be a channel, right? Just to pass it along. But if somebody doesn't want it, what does Matthew say? He says, go back and try again. This time offer up maybe just a truce. No, that's not what it says in Matthew. Jesus says, leave the home or town. Shake the dust off of your feet. Move along. This is so counter to what we think peace is supposed to look like. At least, this is what I thought it was. I I thought that it's, well, it's really tempting after your peace has been rejected to go back, to diminish yourself, and to kind of return again and and offer something different, you know, like, like maybe just the absence of conflict without the presence of justice you're just offering up this facade not real peace and this is actually truth be told how i understood the christian life to be i thought that to be the bigger person i had to go back after my peace got rejected and offer up something else i thought that was how i turned the other cheek in fact that is a spectacularly bad reading of the scriptures to be honest with you i i had it wrong When you offer your peace, you are relinquishing control. You are showing dignity and courage and bravery in that moment because you show up, you stand in truth, you offer your real peace, and then you let the chips fall where they may. And I think about this when I think about achieving real peace in our world. Like, how do we even go about that? What's that even supposed to look like? Real peacemakers don't settle for less than notions of peace where we have a lack of conflict but we don't have real justice. Peacemakers overturn unjust systems so that they can put back together what's been divided and thereby achieving peace. But Austin Channing Brown, do you all know her? She is an incredible uh, author and theologian and she says, I'll be your peacemaker. But remember. It means I've got to tear some stuff down first and it's not going to look or feel very peaceful. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus modeled this too, right? He flipped the tables over in the church courtyard because the people in power were taking advantage of the others. There have been times when Christians have been on the front lines of peace. It's true. But there have been a lot of other times where Christians have done unspeakable things and shed blood in the name of peace, but it actually wasn't peace, it was like power accumulation. And I'm not just talking about the Crusades. Slavery, Jim Crow, synagogue shootings, mosque bombings. Christians have written themselves a moral permission slip for a lot of things, all in the name of this pseudo-peace. But peacemaking is proactive. It's not protective, it's not reactive. It's this active, dynamic sense of advancing shalom. It's stepping into a place for the healing of the world, for the restoration and reconciliation. The good news is you already have this piece. You already have all the nine fruits. Remember, the process of bearing fruit is not instantaneous. It's not like you wake up one morning and you look out your window and the tree out there has a fully grown fruit on it. It's not how it goes. You don't have to create these nine qualities out of thin air. Fruit grows. It starts small. And it stays rooted in the vine. And when the storms come, it clings to those roots. And then the gardener comes by and prunes off some of the fruit so that the plant can be more fruitful. So think about the actual process of growing fruit. It's It's that. It's a process. It takes time. John F. Kennedy, Jr. Put it this way, peace is a daily, a weekly, a monthly process gradually changing opinions, slowly eroding old barriers, and quietly building new structures. However undramatic the pursuit of peace, that pursuit has to go on. I want you to see this illustrated, and this is how I'm going to end. These are photographs taken of World War I battlefields uh, as they appear today. So you can see there, that squiggly line, that's the trench. And the craters where the artillery shells exploded. But it's all car- carpeted in this grass that's grown over time. Check this one out. This is a tree that's grown between two graves, unmarked graves of German soldiers. The tree just didn't appear overnight. Here's my favorite one. That's a trench. Oops. says, Cancel, Reconnect. Christian, am I doing something wrong? Great, there it is, this is my favorite one. It's a tree growing in the middle of the trench. The tree didn't just appear the day that the armistice was signed, it grew. Over time, it started as a seed, and it grew over the years. There's healing at hand, but it is not immediate. Peace is on the move, but peace is a seed. You are sowing those seeds. And however long that process takes, We're supposed to pursue it together, and I am grateful to be in it with you. Let's pray. Dear God, we're thankful for the opportunity to learn about the peace that you want for us, the peace that we are meant to pursue together. We're grateful that we don't do it alone, that you go before us, and that you've given us each other to work side by side in making real peace in our own lives and relationships. And in this world that you created. And we pray for a sense of bravery, of courage, that starts with vulnerability, God. That we would be vulnerable and that we would continue to offer our peace, even in the face of rejection. And we would do it in your name. Thank you for these people and this time tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Thank you, Maggie. So often when I get up here for words of institution after Matt speaks and now tonight Maggie, there's so much swirling in my mind and certainly tonight because you had so many wonderful things to say for us to take in. And I love this idea that we are called to be peacemakers, but it's not this simple, easy thing. It's not just simple words of, hey, peace be with you and an easy, comfortable walk away from We follow a God who was the ultimate peacemaker. And his kind of peacemaking, like Maggie said, was coming to earth and turning everything upside down. A God who showed us a vulnerability that went to such an extent that he died on a cross for us, he laid his life out as the ultimate peacemaker ushering in the kingdom and in that calling us to continue that work like the fruit Jesus came and it just didn't happen overnight, he calls us on that mission with him a mission to be part of real peacemaking, real kingdom bringing, real change for justice and this God who died on a cross, sat at a table the night before, and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me, the peacemaker. And likewise, he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. When you drink from this cup, For everyone. So that's what we do. We take the bread and we dip it into the cup. And we remember a God that loved us so much that he came to earth, he flipped everything upside down, and he said, come join me. Let's be peacemakers together. So we invite you during the music to come forward as you feel called. We'll have gluten-free elements right here, regular elements in the side. With that, please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy name.